tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. That's right, we are the Geek's Watch, and we are here to talk about Game of Thrones and everything that we, the Geek Watch, hold up and uh, filter out for you this week in Geek News. So, John, how have you been this week? I know you went and saw Warcraft, and uh, I don't know if you were too happy with it. Yeah, hey, Mitch, how are you doing? Um, uh, disappointed would be a good way to put it. It's It wasn't terrible, but it, it should have been better. Okay, well, I will get to that this week, and hopefully next week we can talk about, uh, we can talk about it together, so... Uh, first off, do you have any, any geek news? What's the geek news that you want to talk about? I know E3 was a big uh, part of this week's geek news, but, uh, we talked about that on Hey Mitch, so if anybody wants to delve further into that, you can go over there and uh, listen to that episode. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed that episode myself, and I felt like Kojima didn't get nearly enough praise. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what? You and Richard should talk, because uh, I talked to him off-air, and you know he was he was praising the hell out of Kojima, so you guys should definitely talk. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, when he appeared on stage, and like nobody knew what was going to happen next, it was just... <laughs> It was riveting. It was the most exciting moment in E3 history for me. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, okay, so what, what is the first uh, bit of news that you want to talk about? All right, the first item is a little bit of sad news. The Lego movie, of which I'm a big fan of, um, the sequel is going to be pushed back almost a full year from May 18th, 2018 to February 8th, 2019. According to Variety, some other movies are being pushed back as well, but none of which at this point really matter to me, uh, except for this one. It's very sad that we're going to have to wait so long, but hey, I'm all for delays if it means for a better product on the line. There you go. I mean, it's a kind of uh, it's the kind of uh, IP that you definitely want to take your time with and get right. I mean, especially as much as people love the first one. Yeah, maybe it was the Oscar snub. They want to make sure they get it extra good this time. <laughs> maybe. Um, I, I, my first pre- part part of uh, my first news article was uh, James Wan, who recently directed The Conjuring Two, uh, Fat, uh, Furious Seven, and then will be all, is also directing Aquaman. Uh, is rebooting a MacGyver as a TV series, and. Was originally set to direct a pilot, but then 
had to pull out because of uh, post-production work on Conjuring 2. And they, they hired director David Von Aken to, to direct the, the pilot. But now he has found some free time, so James Wan is going to come back and redirect the pilot for MacGyver, which is very weird the way that it's all going. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be for CBS, which is obviously it's found a home for, like, uh, reboots like Hawaii Five-0. So um, I don't know how, how that's all going to look or how it's all going to pan out, but I think it's interesting that they're bringing MacGyver back. Well, I believe the success of the original show was due no, in no small part to the mullet. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping to bring it back. <laughs> well, let's hope they do. <laughs> yeah, you know what would be great? If the show uh, wasn't updated at all, it was just all still 80s, 90s stuff and mullets and, and just completely the same. <laughs> yeah, cause it's, it's more interesting if you have to be resourceful with low-tech stuff. I mean, now you can make a Raspberry Pi do pretty much anything, and that's no fun. It's, it's about... Doing the most with as little as possible. There you go. <laughs> you go ahead and uh, with your next article. Okay. Um, it sounds like Roland Emmerich, um, one of the creative duo behind movies such as Stargate, Godzilla, and The Day After Tomorrow. Godzilla, the 98 version, not the newer, slightly better one. <laughs> um, it sounds like they're rebooting Stargate. Um, uh, from the sound of it, it seems like too much time has passed from the original movie to make a worthwhile sequel. And likewise, the show kind of added several new elements to the mythology of the series to make it so that it's probably easier to just start from scratch and maybe start uh, create a new original trilogy with elements of both the movie and the show. Yeah, because there was what there was two spinoffs from that TV show, right? There was yeah, there was Atlantis, and then some other one I can't remember. I believe it was Universe, Stargate Universe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I don't think I watched any of the three shows. Uh, I remember watching the movie when it first came out, but I think the only reason I wanted to is because it did so much of that filming here in Yuma, and I remember that. But I, I didn't. I never. I remember not liking that movie. Yeah, it's um, it has more of a cult following now. It wasn't a failure by any means when it first came out, right? But it definitely seems like too much time has passed. Um, coincidentally, the show starred the former MacGyver himself. <laughs> That's true. Just a little connection there. <laughs> but yeah, James Spader and Kurt Russell like had a really good dynamic on the original movie, and um. It seemed like they definitely had the room to expand, although the show eventually kind of went off the rails because it started delving into other types of mythology like Norse and Greek mythology, as well as Egyptian. And they, like I said, a, a reboot's probably the smart option to go at this point because you can kind of start fresh, take the best elements, trim a lot of the excess, and you, know, you might have a, a formula for a new trilogy. Fair enough. So yeah, that, I mean that it, that I mean it does seem like it, it expanded in a lot of different directions. So uh, a reboot of the of the series. Plus, you know, if you're talking about Stargates, there's all kinds of places you can go with it, right? Oh yeah, like pretty much 
the whole universe is fair game because like that's the whole point of the Stargates. <laughs> so my next piece of art news uh, has to do with Spider-Man Homecoming with uh, a young Tom Holland that we fought, we all saw in Marvel's Captain America Civil War. Uh, they have announced uh, uh, quite a bit of few new names being cast to the movie in the last week. Of those names is Martin Starr from Silicon Valley, of other things, and Donald Glover, who, which was a big piece of news to reveal because a lot of people originally wanted Donald Glover to be cast as Spider-Man when they were talking about rebooting Spider-Man uh, back when it was the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. So, uh, obviously, he's a little too old to be playing miles morales now but uh it'd be interesting to find out who he is he's going to be playing uh martin Starr also don't know who he would probably play um but then the last person they they also said was uh logan marshall green who i think most people remember him from prometheus i don't know i, I know i've seen him in other things but i, I can't really think of uh, what some of the other projects are but their uh, comicbook.com has a uh, slideshow of who the uh, five characters most likely he would be playing. So I would like to, you know, go over that with you to see who you think, uh, of, what do you think of some of these characters that he might be playing as a villain. Uh, first one they have is Herman Schultz, a.k.a. The Shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, Craven the Hunter. Oh. Chameleon? Nah. Overdrive? Which I don't even know who Overdrive is. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't sound familiar. Apparently he's one of the new villains that has to do with Mr. Negative's inner demons. Oh. And Alistair Smythe. Which... Huh. Yeah, the leader of the Spider Slayers, which I could see that. So... Uh of those, like, I really want Craven to show up. I don't know if I want Logan Marshall Green to be playing him because I would like someone a little older and a little bit more Mediterranean looking. Uh, chameleon, yeah. <laughs> chameleon seems ridiculous because the chameleon technically is always somebody else. So what would be the point? Uh, Shocker is cool. I think it's funny that in recent history, Shocker has become more of a uh throwaway uh villain that like no one takes seriously because he's just ridiculous apparently but I think he's a cool I thought he was a cool uh villain back in the day uh overdrive I know nothing about him and then Alistair Smythe which could be pretty interesting I mean he uh creates all those spider slayers so I, I I'd be I'd be okay with that yeah, I could see him being a Smythe, although most of what I remember from Smythe came from the animated show, in yeah, which he eventually became kind of a gargoyle-looking character. <laughs> uh, yeah, he kind of reminded me of Goliath a little bit. Um, a little bit. Um, other one, I could kind of see him as Shocker, although I've always wondered what the difference was between Shocker and Electro, other than the the obvious costume differences is like, are they, are they both just electricity based or well, no, I don't think shocker is, is electricity based. He's vibration based. So it's more like aftershocks than it is electrical shocks. Ah, okay. 
Um, yeah, either of those two. I could see him being like the intellectual like genius that makes the the weapons and stuff to go after Spider-Man, or he could he has the physicality where he could do more physical stuff like the Shocker might. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Craven the Hunter should go for someone a little more imposing and kind of unique looking, I yeah. guess. Yes, exactly. Um, and as far as Overdrive, like, yeah, I don't even have an opinion. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, what, did you have another art piece of article? Another piece of news? Uh, yeah, the last one's not so much news per se, but it's a, sort of a free advertisement for Rooster Teeth. Um, I'm a big fan of their work uh, ever since their Red versus Blue days when they used to use the Halo multiplayer to basically tell jokes. Um, they just started their first live-action dramatic series called Day 5, uh, the premise of which is uh, something mysterious is killing people in their sleep. Uh, so you have a, a motley crew of characters ranging from people that work night shifts to meth addicts to uh, people who are just over-caffeinating themselves in order to try to stay alive as long as possible to either figure it out or outlast whatever it is that's mysteriously killing people in their sleep. It's an interesting premise. The trailer looks intense, and uh, like I'm yawning, not out of boredom, but out of like feeling their pain of like wanting to sleep. <laughs> what was the what, where was the trailer at? Uh, it's on roosterteeth.com. You'll see it right on their front page. Uh, as of this recording, today's the 19th. It premieres tonight for sponsors by the time this actually airs it should be available the first episode should be available to the general public well there you go I, that does sound very interesting and yeah uh just someone telling me that i you know can't can't go to sleep is already making me tired so <laughs> yeah <clears throat> all right so we had a listener um write into us this week on twitter at jaldana15, or Josue Aldana, asked uh, the two of us, can you guys cover where the Baratheon family is in Game of Thrones? Where are those people? Never seen them on the show. Uh, you know, I think, I mean, obviously there's there's the, the House Baratheon at the beginning of the show consisted of uh, Robert Baratheon, Renly Baratheon, and uh, Stannis Baratheon. And unfortunately, at this point, all three of them are dead. <laughs> and their families. Well, <laughs> that's actually a good question. I'm really glad it was asked. Um, yeah, the official Lannister line is a fit, is pretty much extinct. Um, any legitimate Baratheon heirs are dead. Um, and... Um, yeah, there, there's no basically no other relatives kind of hidden around anywhere else. Um, you do have a bunch of Robert Baratheon's bastard children kind of just littered throughout the Seven uh, Kingdoms. Right, and, as, and that um, was a big part of when Cersei went and had a lot of them killed at uh, King's Landing uh, because we knew that she wanted... Uh, Joffrey to take take over as king and no one else to have a claim on the throne but that's when we saw actually, oh sorry go ahead uh, oh sorry that was actually Joffrey that did that um, I believe Jamie or some other character Aster no it was Tyrion Tyrion Aster 
if Cersei was the one responsible for the murder of all the bastards in King's Landing, to which she sounded kind of surprised. And then they both kind of just figured out, oh, it was it must have been Joffrey, uh, because he knew of his father's philandering ways and um, wanted to eliminate the threat of any potential, you know, bastard children coming up and claiming their birthright, of which they really don't have any, but, you know, he just wanted an excuse to kill people anyway. But yeah, this is true. Yeah, he he was kind of sadistic. But we also know for uh, almost for a fact that none of the uh, his legitimate children or legitimate in in air quotes are his actual children. The they're Jamie and Cersei's two kids who've been passed off as Robert's kids. Right. So far, the name Baratheon still exists, although it's not. It's no longer connected by blood because, like you said, there's like a ninety nine percent chance. Uh, that Tommen is not his uh, real son, and um, yeah, so he's the, the whole Baratheon name is riding on him now. So you know, hope he doesn't screw things up too badly in the next couple of episodes. And the one bastard that we actually know of in the show, uh, Gendry, uh, was captive of Stannis and the the Red Lady, but. The Onion Knight helped him escape. Was that back in season three? I believe that was season four. But we haven't seen him since then. That's right. Yeah, he's on the SS uh, missing plotline. What was it called again? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We brought it up in an earlier episode. Yeah, the, the SS loose thread. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's all kinds of jokes that, um, that uh, Yara and... Theon are going to run into him while they're sailing uh, towards, what was it, Essos and stuff. So, yeah, as, he's supposed to make a comeback at some point, but as of right now, yeah, it, he doesn't seem to be important to the plot at hand. Um, and in the show, he's the only, like, surviving bastard that we know of. But in the books, it is referenced that they're pretty much everywhere in King in, uh, in Westeros. Right. Because Robert had a penchant for, you know, betting pretty much anything with the pulse. <laughs> Which also, I also wanted to say, with uh, in the first season when Robert is gored by the boar, uh, was there any rumors that it was something else that happened on that hunting trip? Or was it always just straightforward that he was gored by a boar? He Well, he was scored by the boar however um the circumstances later turned out to be that cersei had convinced her cousin lancel to give him overly strong wine in order to get him nice and drunk so that he would have an accident ah okay which now so we there know. was definitely a conspiracy to to have him basically die sooner rather than later and lancel is now part of the faith militant right that's Excuse me. That's one of the sins that he confessed to, and one of the reasons why he's so um, devout now is because he he feels he has a lot of guilt to make up for. And then we have Renly, who died uh, when uh, the Red Witch gave birth to the Shadow Demon that eventually killed him. That's right. Yeah, Stannis uh, impregnated her with his King Seed. 
which gave birth to a shadow demon that looked like Stannis. Although uh, they they mentioned that it looks like him, but to me it just looked like a shadow. Yeah, thing. you know that's the same thing too. Like they in that ep- or later episodes, they kept uh, Brienne kept saying it had Stannis's face. I was like, did it really? I don't. Yeah. I don't think I remember seeing Stannis's face on there. I just remember seeing Shadow Demon. And well, then got a really good look, apparently. Yep. And then uh, Stannis himself dies at the hands of Brienne at uh, his fall at Winterfell. Yeah. So they're pretty much all done for. Like I said officially, only Tommen's carrying the name, and we'll see how long that lasts. So there you go, Josue. The House Baratheon is pretty much dead, at least biologically. Hope we could, hope we were able to answer that question for you. Which then brings us into our lineage for this week, where we are talking about uh, the the former Meister that um, Cersei keeps around. I think you, I, I always forget his name. It's Quyburn. Quyburn, yes. Quyburn. Okay. Now. Before we get into that, what exactly is a Meister? A Meister is um, sort of like if you think of the the, uh, the Septons of the Faith of the Seven as priests, the Maesters would be like monks. Um, they still have vows where they're supposed to be celibate and things like that, of which, you know, obviously, as we saw in season one, Pycelle doesn't really keep to that one, although he pretends to. Um, he also pretends to be very uh, weak as an old man, but we saw him not be so weak in that right. scene, too. Although they haven't really done much with that, but that's definitely good to give the air that he's much more frail and like unthreatening, I guess. Probably. Um, the the maesters basically are the learned men of Westeros. Uh, they learned everything from philosophy to medicine to even magic back in the day, although they have admitted that in more recent times that's been more like just for traditional sake because magic had stopped existing in the world up until the return of dragons um that's actually a big plot point in the books having to do with the citadel as well but we can talk about that at a different time um so they have codes uh, that they're supposed to follow and um much like in uh let's say like 18th 17th century uh, early medicine, you know, uh, uh, the early doctors of their of the time would dissect uh, corpses to learn more about the anatomy and you know uh, diseases and things like that. You know, the early surgery was pretty gruesome, but you know it led to where we are now eventually after trial and error. Basically, uh, the maesters have a similar thing uh, where it starts to diverge with Kyburn. And the reason for his expelling from the the order of the maesters is that he was a very curious individual. Um, He liked to dwell into the more arcane and, um, what would you say, the... um, Forbidden? Forbidden, yes. The the, the occult side of, uh, like, (laughs) the magic that existed in in the world. Um, something akin to like blood magic like they have in uh, Essos for example or like what the Red Queen would use um, but he he studied it from a very academic standpoint um, he took a penchant to dissecting living people under the philosophy that if you if you dissect a, a cadaver 
to learn you know the secrets of the living you could dissect a living person to learn the secrets of the dead um, naturally uh, behavior and thought processes like this did not fall in line with everyone else in the order so he was promptly expelled um, but by this point he pretty much I mean he was a full-fledged maester right um, he, he was just stripped of his title and his chain which is it's very it's a very disgraceful thing to have done to someone um, nevertheless he just made his way around Westeros not much is known about his personal life and his history uh, other than what I just said um, up until the moment he gets discovered at Harrenhal by uh, Rob Stark's um, soldiers in the TV show when we first meet him you know he's wounded he's close to death and Rob Stark's uh, now wife or then wife uh, helps heal him back nurses him to health and uh, he becomes the de facto maester of Harrenhal when uh, Lord Bolton, Roose Bolton, um, is stationed there. And uh, during the time that Bolton is there, that's when Jamie arrives, um, thanks to the, uh, the Brave Companions. And uh, at this point, Jamie has his hand cut off, so Kyburn uh, uh, nurses him back to health and uh, heals the, the necrotic flesh that was on his arm, um, actually saving most of his arm uh, due to the fact that you know he was well-learned in uh, me medical practices. Right. He, he is sent along with uh, Brienne and Jamie to King's Landing in order to kind of make sure that he stays okay and the infection doesn't come back, uh, at which point, uh, Cersei, you know, be, feels really thankful and indebted to him for basically saving as much of Jamie's body as possible, and decides to, you know, take up an interest in him, realizing that he's talented and he's basically as good as a maester. At this point, she's already tired of uh, Pycelle. Right. She feels like she can't really trust him, and he's kind of shady. Um, and I mean, he has no love for her either. So she becomes, uh, uh, Kyburn becomes essentially like her private maester. And she completely encourages him to continue his research into the occult practices, of which become, uh, the biggest case becomes when the mountain gets poisoned by the red viper. The sand snake. The, the red, yeah, I was going to say the sand snake. The red viper's uh, spear. Uh, Pycelle takes a look at him. He hasn't died completely, but he's, you know, he's in his last stages and says yeah he's as good as dead you might as well kill him and end his suffering and Kyburn says to Cersei actually uh, there might be something I can do with him and she gives him the go ahead and uh, I believe the the following uh, episode or maybe the following season you see him pumping some strange fluids into the, the mountain's body uh, we have no idea what he's doing, but I mean, it, it's, it seems like a very reanimator kind of sequence. Very much so. And, um, then we see, after Cersei goes through her whole atonement, walk of shame thing, when she arrives back at King's Landing, Kyburn is waiting for her with the newly reanimated Mountain, who is now going as Sir Robert Strong, thus... You know, proving to her that she was right all along to trust in him because he seems to be very devoted to her, and he's also giving her the tools that she's going to need to keep herself safe 
And um, if we fast forward to our most recent uh, dealing with him, he's also now serving as the Master of Whispers, uh, a spot that was left vacant when uh, Varys left uh, King's Landing to go with Tyrion. Right. So he's now doing double duty as also collecting secrets all over uh, King's Landing for for Cersei. Okay, which then... Oh, sorry. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, which then brings us to uh, this week's episode that we're talking about, which is last week's episode, because we don't like to put it out there for spoiler reasons, but uh, I believe the episode was called No One, and right. we are going to talk about basically Cersei at uh, King's Landing. Uh, big The big reveal is that <laughs> the... The faith militant has gotten to Tomlin even more and made him uh, decide that uh, trial by combat is now a barbaric thing that should no longer be practiced. And that was uh, very much so what she was counting on to be able to do in her trial so that she could have uh, Sir Robert Strong fight her battle for her. Right, that's what you call putting all your eggs in one basket and then having that basket just promptly smashed against the wall. <laughs> Which, I have to say, you know, uh, when the Faith uh, Militant came for her to take her to the High Sparrow and she said, no, if he wants to talk to me, he can come talk to me here. And they decided to go up, like, well, we'll, we'll take you. And Robert Strong stepped in. That was pretty awesome. I was. It's so funny because, like, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not a big fan of Cersei Lannister and, you know, her shady dealings, but I am so much against uh, religion <laughs> that uh, I'm okay <laughs> with uh, what is happening to them and her winning. Yeah, Mountain pulls his uh, hit his fatality finishing move. <laughs> um, of which I, out. I'm so thankful every day that I can get to see just original content put on Reddit of just little animations like that. You take that scene of the mountain ripping the dude's head, and then you have over it superimposed in the pixelated red letters fatality with the dripping blood. <laughs> it was just so awesome. Uh, there are some pretty incredible uh, creative pre- people on Reddit, so yes, that, that, was, that was awesome. That is awesome. Um we get to the scene where where uh, she is explaining, or I'm, I'm sorry, where the King Tomlin is, is explaining that uh, trial by combat will not be allowed anymore, and she d- then turns to Kyvern and says, "I uh, says uh, the the whispers have come back, and uh, they turn out to be true, or the rumors happen to be true." Of which, at this point, we don't know exactly what they're talking about. But if we speculate a little bit, it sounds like it might be the stores of wildfire that either um, Tyrion had ordered to make for the Battle of Blackwater, or maybe the reserves that the Mad King Eris had left hidden throughout King's Landing during Robert's Rebellion. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I took it as. I, I took it as that's what they were talking about, so... I'm guessing she just plans to burn it all down, or <laughs> yeah, she. I think she has a scorched earth policy where she's just gonna say, "If you're taking me down, you're going down with me." 
So then, yeah, that, I mean, obviously this is going to come to a head. Uh, we only have, I think, two episodes left of the season. Uh, That's right. This, this will definitely come to a head, and we'll have to see where that leaves King's Landing at the end of this uh, with the Faith Militant. Yeah, I think um, if we look at a couple of the visions that different characters have had in the show, like Bran and Daenerys... They always seem to see uh, the Iron Throne room in just a shambles. <laughs> so, so something something big is going to go down. So we'll see what goes on there. Which uh, then I would like to jump over to Bravos and talk about one Arya Jason Bourne Stark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all of the rumors of her possibly going through her personal fight club moment or impersonating someone else to protect herself. No, it was literally just her being an idiot and walking around in broad daylight with no guard whatsoever. Getting yeah. gut stabbed. and <laughs> So, yeah, she finds her way over to the actress, uh, was it Lady Crane? Yes. So the actress takes her in. Nurses her back to hell, tells her about how she had uh, terrible husbands or, or lovers back in the day that she would stab and then repair. And while Arya is, is resting in the other room, she is trying to get something off the top, a top shelf using a stool. And all of a sudden you hear some crashing noises after, uh, after a guy enters the room. And I didn't quite understand what the pic- i mean obviously i knew she was dead but like did was she impaled on that stool yeah it looked like she was kind of bent over like in three different places and like she looked like she got accordioned <laughs> yeah it i don't know exactly what uh the waif did to her but it looked painful uh, and then it was, I thought that was interesting that she immediately drops her persona of this dude with the chomo mustache and then you see the actual waif, and she starts to chase Arya at that point. Yeah, she becomes the waifinator. Like, the T-1000 just chases her, like, with the fiercest determination throughout Bravos. Oh, man, I did not even think about that, but that is how she was running. She was running like a T-1000. She, she yeah. It seemed weird, like, the way that she was running. I was like, why does that look so so strange? But, yeah, that's exactly what it was going on. Uh, but then, yeah, we get we get this very much uh, Assassin's Creed, uh, Jason Bourne run through the bizarre kind of uh, scene, uh, and then eventually, you know, she's she's opened up her stitches again, so she's leaving a blood trail, and the way follows her into a a room that I guess only had the one exit and ha- was completely dark except, except for the candle and and Arya. I I guess you're supposed to believe that she had planned it out this way because she hid the sword, she hid needle there. Um, I don't believe she had it planned. That was just like her last recourse. Um, and it, I mean, it, I guess we're supposed to infer that, you know, because of her time being blind, she was she was going to have the advantage fighting in the dark. Oh, but, I didn't even think about uh, that. That it, but it doesn't really make sense because you would think the waif would have had the same training. I mean, she was the one that was basically teaching her how to fight, and 
part of the purpose of her being blind is the waif was telling her you have to listen you have to you know be aware of your surroundings and all this other stuff so right it's kind of interesting that the student could beat the teacher so easily well and I, so anticlimactically it was kind of anticlimactic i thought i thought maybe it was because of her extra training that she had with uh the water dancing early in, early in the show. I don't forget. Cereal. Yeah, it was cereal. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it, it is a chance that everybody that goes through the training has to be blind for a little while. But then it it might be that she was especially stupid and and that was a punishment for her to, to be blind. <laughs> yeah, in in the in the books, it does seem like it's definitely part of her training. Okay. Um, in in the show, it seemed like it was a punishment. So it, it's really, I don't know. It could I don't know be which way, way to go about it. Yeah, just you could take one or the other, and whichever one you like best, I suppose. <laughs> so, but yeah, the debt's been paid, and there is like like they said, you know, one way or another, one face is gonna go on the the hall and turn out to be the waves. But I mean, how, I mean, obviously, when they put a they put a, a face up on the wall, they take great care in cleaning the body and then, you know, very delicately cutting the face off. She wouldn't have had the time to do all that. And obviously the, the, the face wasn't cleaned off because it's bleeding on the, I mean, that just seemed more disrespectful than anything else. Yeah. It looked like she was giving a big middle finger to the whole idea of the faceless men. And even Jack and kind of had this look like, seriously, like, <laughs> So yeah, that's what I wanted to. I mean, she he then turns to her and says, you know, uh, well, finally, uh, a girl has no name, and she just throws that shit in his face too, and is like, nope, like this girl's name is Arya Stark. Yeah, and I don't know. From a story wise perspective, I'm like, you went through all this trouble just to end up where you started, basically. Like now you're gonna go back. I mean, granted, she learned a few more, like, fighting abilities, I suppose, but it just seems like it was just one big detour, departure that was to kill time. Yeah, you know, I mean, did she even learn how to, to wear another face? She did wear a face for a little bit, right? When she went after... She did, but I don't know if she learned, like, the magical version of it, where, like, Jackin can switch it without physically having a face. Like, he just kind of passes his hand over his face like a Jedi mind trick and he can look different. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting when she, when she says this and she's like, I'm Arya Stark and she walks away. The camera definitely pans over to him and he either has, he's got that thing like the Mona Lisa where you can't tell if he's actually like grinning or if he's (laughs) upset, you know, kind of thing. So what did you think? Do you think he was happy with this result or do you think he was upset? Yeah, not only that, it also looks like his eyes follow you. Um, <laughs> well, he's dreamy like Jesus, was, so... Yeah, <laughs> sexy Jesus. He, I, I took it as he, he's, he's glad or, like, he's happy that that's the direction she's taking. Like, uh, I think the implication is supposed to be that, you know... She's a faceless man now, like she's earned the title, whether she wants to be one or not, like she has the skills, she she passed the test, I guess. Um, so she's like an honorary faceless man, I suppose, but 
Um, it's it's so vague that honestly, I'm gonna just chalk it up to the the writers themselves probably don't don't know what the answer's supposed to be. Um, it's just you know he smiles as in like an at a girl kind of moment, but uh, I don't know. I I'm I'm sure this isn't the last we'll see of the faceless men and running into Arya. I really hope it's not. I mean, yeah, it'd but, be uh, it'd be yeah. terrible just to drop this uh, this story thread and have him go off to the SS loose plot. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting to note too that in the books, um, after Arya and Jockin part ways when he rescues her from Harrenhal, we don't see uh, they don't interact again. So far in the the books that have come out. Uh, when she goes to Bravos, she goes to the House of Black and White, and there's a character similar to the Waif there, and another slightly older-looking man, but no Jackin. And it's implied that Jackin is off doing some other mission um, somewhere in Westeros, but those two have not crossed paths again in the books. So it's interesting, probably just for you know story truncation purposes that they brought him back but uh yeah it's it's not really clear exactly what his role is in this whole thing fair enough i also did think uh it was interesting that uh when the waif is chasing her down and you know trying to kill her and stuff like that you see more often than not a smile on the waif's face which to me would then also be going against the the religion or the 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 order because they're not supposed to uh, take joy in killing someone. It's supposed to be a a privilege to give them death, right? Kind of thing. Yeah, it looks like she's enjoying it a little too much. Like she wants to kill Arya, like bad. Right. And uh, also the fact that she's chasing her and making a big, um, a pretty much a big production about it by you know just following her in plain sight and a faceless man like Jackin would be much more discreet and like you technically shouldn't even see him coming right um, it's it's almost like you said when she first shows up to Lady Crane's apartment you know after he kills her she just drops all the pretense and she's there as herself um, whereas you know Jackin I think would probably have stayed hidden you wouldn't even see it coming no, you definitely wouldn't have. So yeah, it's 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 obviously. I mean, I think it was it's it's a little obvious that he, she wasn't what he was expecting either. She just happened to maybe pass a lot of the tests. Yeah, it just um, it seemed like yeah she was probably also in training, and this was a test to kind of weed out the, the herd. I guess. There you go. Uh, where would you like to go to next? see where are we now we have um the hound finally caught up to the uh the the brotherhood without banners and um you it starts off with a scene of four of them just kind of joking around and goosing each other and uh, the hound shows up kind of like Jason Voorhees and just like, <laughs> hatches them to death in like real brutal fashion. Oh man, um, that was quite the opening to the fucking show. Yeah, uh, 
he uh, he makes sure to leave one of them alive just long enough to get information out of them. And in a way, he's the one that got it worst of all because he got like an uppercut with the hatchet to the crotch. Yeah. Which, I mean, didn't kill him right away, but that was only in order to get information out of him. He doesn't say anything useful, so he just goes ahead and kills him anyway. Then um, a couple scenes later, you see him roll up on the actual Brotherhood Without Banners, Sir Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Myrrh. And they're about to hang the other guys that were there that did the slaughter at the church. Which I thought was very interesting. Oh, go ahead. Well, I guess the what they say there is that they were technically a part of the Brotherhood Without Banners, but they were acting out of line. Like, that wasn't part of their mission to just go kill innocent people after all. Um, and it also debunks one of my favorite fan theories about what was going to be happening and who might be the new leader of the Brotherhood. Um, this firmly squashed that potential spoiler rumor of who their new leader would be because it's still... Beric and Darian, he's still alive or undead. Right. And um, it sounds like they're recruiting the Hound in order to uh, to go up north and possibly help uh, retake Winterfell from the sound of it. But, yeah, this is true. And what I was going to get at is that uh, with all the information that you gave last week about uh, Mr. Lemon Cape or whatever his name was, uh, it was interesting to have him just already be killed. I mean, he had such a unique trait of that yellow cape of his that he would obviously be spotted by people who read who read the books, but now he's already gone. Yeah, and it's interesting to note that, that specific detail about the cape because um, bright colors like that are not seen very often in like normal people in in, uh, in Westeros. That's bright colors, like in medieval times, were usually reserved for royalty or rich people. So it was a dead giveaway that, yeah, this was in fact the character Lem Lemon Cloak. Cloak. Um, yeah, the, did you say Lemon Cake earlier? I said cape with oh, a peep. <laughs> <laughs> lemon Cake sounds good, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting to note that this is the people were saying online that this is the episode that killed the hype because you have the reveal of a character the episode prior of Lem Lemon Cloak and the way that they kill everybody at that church but hang that one dude was heavily implying the return of a character right uh, which again I'm not sure if I should spoil yet maybe it might come up in the future but it was a very big reveal if that was the case and it seemed to be setting up the hype that oh we're going to see this character come back because of this little hint that they give you here and the same with um the hound being alive and with cersei counting on a trial by combat and the faith militant you know is going to need a champion to counter someone like the mountain and coincidentally the hound was working with the the faith it was setting up another potential spoilery hype situation. I believe we've mentioned that one before, the, the Game Bowl. Uh-huh. Um, and this is the episode that pretty much shot both of those theories like just right in the head. <laughs> they did. They just put it into them. It was like, hey, we re-read it also and shut that shit down. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, don't, I wonder how much of that is them, <clears throat> like purposely trolling the audience 
or if uh, if that's never if, if that's just George R. R. Martin's style of writing where he's just going to misdirect you. Like I, I know that for a fact that he's the kind of person that has said in the past, if you can see which way I'm writing, then I failed as a writer, and therefore purposely tries to kind of mix in some different twists or turns to to kind of counter, uh, you know, people's preconceptions of where the story's headed. I would definitely say it's a se- yeah, it's it's most likely the second one because. As the showrunners and writers of the TV show, I definitely wouldn't want to uh, try anything as dangerous as troll the audience in case, you know, <laughs> it messes with the, the ratings. But, uh, yeah, to mimic George R. R. Martin's writing style of, hey, keep keep a watch over here. Oh, shit, I just pulled the rug from out under your feet. Yeah. Get him with the old switcheroo. So while we're talking about uh, a little bit up north, let's let's uh, go over to River Run, which is interesting because um, Brienne is showing up over at uh, what's the name of that castle? Uh, I believe it's also called River Run. Okay, so Brienne shows up there with the note from Sansa, which we thought might have been a note to Littlefinger, but apparently it was to her uncle. Second, second. No, those are two different notes. Were they? Yes. Oh, I thought that yeah, was... Yeah, the, the, the original note that we saw her write kind of mysteriously uh-huh. uh, was sent on the raven. Because she was, she was eyeing the maester, like, messing with the ravens, and then the scene after that is when she's writing the note. Oh. Um, this other one, yeah, was directed uh, specifically towards her uncle, and that's why Brienne was the one that took it. Okay, so I'm sorry. I guess I, I'm not paying attention well enough. <laughs> so she gets to Brienne and Podrick get to uh, Jamie's encampment. I guess would you want to call it? They're basically trying to take over the, yeah. their the take over the castle. And she explains to Jamie that she needs to go talk to the Blackfish and that she can get the Blackfish to surrender. If. Uh, they promise not to kill him? Yeah, she's trying to work out a deal where, um, like, all Jamie really wants is to give the, the castle back to the phrase. So um, that he can go home. Killing them, yes. Um, he doesn't necessarily want to kill anybody. He just wants to take the path that will get him home the fastest. So, you know, when Brienne suggests that, you know, well, if I can get them out of there in order to go north with me to, to go help his, his, you know, niece, would you guys give us, you know, safe passage? And he's pretty much desperate to the point where he's like, yeah, sure, if you can get him out of here, that's fine with me. You, I mean, all we want is the castle. Um, technically, the phrase want uh, any other remaining Tully's dead, but he's willing to just basically say, hey, I, I got you the castle. The, the Tully thing is your problem now. Um, so yeah, Brienne goes and talks to the Blackfish, who at first is very hesitant to really offer any help. He then kind of seems to want to relent, but eventually just states that, you know, he's old, he's fought his battles, he was born there, he's going to die there. Uh, he really regrets, you know, that he can't do more for, for Sansa, and even comments that, you know, she's just like her mother, based on apparently just the letter. Right. I don't know if that means they have the same penmanship or <laughs> they write the same, but 
I was like, oh, you know, it's, she's just like her mom, you know, presses a wax seal exactly the same way or something. <laughs> um, to which, um, at this point, Jamie starts to get really desperate and goes and has a chat with uh, Edmure. Edmure seems to be pretty broken. He was like, I don't even care, man. Like, what do you want? <laughs> and Jamie's like, look, I'm not going to, like, waste any more time here. Like, uh, I'll, I will, like, send your, like, baby over the, the the walls of the castle if I have to. You know, I'll send you over it if I have to in a catapult. Um, it, this just needs to end. So they have a heart-to-heart about their sisters, interestingly enough, you know, Catelyn and um, Cersei. And Jamie's like, yeah, so I'm pretty much ready to do whatever needs to be done. And you don't really see what kind of deal they work out, but then you see that Ed, uh, Edmure is now walking towards the castle um, by himself and demands to be let in. Which the they have fish to do. Oh, I was gonna say which they have to do because he is technically the lord of the ca- of the castle, uh, and he's you know telling them to to let him in, and they're gonna do whatever it is that he says, even though Blackfish is the one that's in charge of this uh, defense, and but he's not the one that's in, he's not the one that's the lord of the land. That's right. Yeah, they. They were following his orders because he was basically the next in command. But now that Edmure appeared, they really have no choice but to, you know, listen to what he says. And uh, there's almost a mutiny going on there. But you know, he decides to not fight because he realizes everybody is in fact on Edmure's side. So he realizing that you know time is going to be short. He he knows that it's some kind of a trick. He uh, gets. Um, with Sansa, or not Sansa, with uh, Brienne and Podrick, basically starts to lead them out through like a safe passageway, so they can just kind of row away in safety. Which I thought was interesting because you know uh, Brienne did give that ultimatum to Jamie saying that if you know you decide to attack while I'm in there talking to the Blackfish, I will be on the Blackfish's side, and I will I'll go up against you. Yeah, and he knows that, and like was kind of I think deep down inside was hoping he wouldn't have to fight her and as you see them like as she's rowing away she like waves goodbye to him and he waves in return almost kind of like brokenheartedly I want to say like oh well you know you're safe I'm glad right now uh getting back to when Jamie and Edna were talking uh, I thought it was interesting that the scene takes uh, t- has a lot of talk about how uh, Edmure has a son that he's never met because he did sire a son the night of his wedding, and then uh, basically after getting the deed done, he was thrown into the into the dungeon. Uh, so the the fact that Jamie still threatens to have that son killed and his wife. Uh, you know, even though he doesn't really have any connection to either one of them because that night was so short and, you know, his father-in-law is a piece of shit. He still, he still, I mean, you're right. We didn't see what their negotiation came down to, but it seemed like that was really helping to get him to cave. Yeah, it's, uh, it all wrapped up a little too quickly and nicely. (laughs) Um, 
again, another anticlimactic situation where you also hear that the Blackfish died fighting, but it happened off screen. That that did piss me off. That you know, yeah, they just come and report to Jamie that the Blackfish died, and we didn't get to see it, which was which is terrible. I mean, he talk they talk about how a great warrior he is, a great fighter he is, and, and he's gone now. I almost hoped that maybe it was a lie that you know maybe someone was letting him get away, but he also said he didn't want to get away, so. Right, and you always, like I said before, you always have to kind of be suspicious of off-screen deaths. However, for some reason, I do feel like this is pretty much the conclusion they came up with for this one. I felt like like it was getting kind of late in the writer's room, and they're like, well, how do we wrap up these three different storylines? <laughs> okay, well, Blackfish dies off-screen. They get the castle back. The end. So with the idea so, that... Yeah. Edner is going to still he like I I would I would assume that he says that he's still going to be able to be in charge or at least be free and be in charge of his men even though it will be a house that's held by the phrase. Well, that might be the deal that he was given. It might have been that they knew that the Blackfish would never cave, um, but. Uh, Edmure might just be tired of just you know being in captivity for over a year and um, just the, the the poor conditions that they had him in because that's one of the things Jamie was kind of adamant about was that they actually treat him with respect. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that Edmure is just done with it, and they might have given him the deal as to say, look, if you go and surrender the castle. You and your men can go north and help your cousin do that thing, and you know we'll just deal with you and the phrase some other time. Like that'll be your problem. Right. That's what I. Yeah. And, that's what I was going to get at. Do you think that he'd be taking his men north to help out Sansa and John? I think so because I mean he he forced all the men to surrender to lay down their weapons. It doesn't. It looks like the Blackfish is the only one that fought. If anyone did. Um, so yeah, if they're all still alive, I mean, if the order was then to execute everyone, then you would have a fight. I think some people would at least try to fight back. Right. So it seems the most logical thing is that they're the ones that are going to go north and help out last minute, maybe save the day when bastard bull happens. Well, Jamie also offered him a, uh, a place over at Castle Rock, right? Did he? I don't remember that. I thought part. I remember him saying something about, "Look, you and your son and your wife can go live, you know, over there, and you don't have to deal with, you know, what's going on here or something like that." But maybe I was just making that up. Uh, maybe I might have missed that part. Uh, I think I was yawning towards the end of this episode. Cause I was like, <laughs> Man, this one sucks. In hey. all honesty, this is the first episode in Game of Thrones where I actually felt somewhat let down. <laughs> Hey, I'm as long as there's no scenes with Sam, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, it was a winner for you. That's right, it was a winner. Uh, okay, well then, that, you know that that's what's going on there. Um, would we like to go over to Marine now? Yeah, um, and yet the continuous anticlimactic situations. Um, you start the scene with Tyrion feeling very proud of himself for what a good job he's done, uh, trying to get uh, Grey Worm and Missandei to to join him in drinks and tell jokes um, and tell jokes. Yes, Tyrion, <laughs> the ever happy, you know, joke telling imp, 
keeps trying to convince them to tell jokes to which they say they know none. Um, and then Miss and Day actually kind of surprises everyone and actually tells a somewhat clever joke. <laughs> it's true. I, I laughed. <laughs> yeah, I did too, just out of the absurdity of it. Yes, exactly. I was like, you know what? It's She only seems to know jokes that have to do with her profession, but you know what? <laughs> Sometimes those are the best ones. <laughs> Uh, and then you have uh, Grey Worm talking about, I'm a soldier. Of course I know what a joke is, you know? And then I thought that was pretty clever. It's like, yeah, I mean, they the the, the Unsullied seem to be very much uh, staunch and, and focused on one thing, but... Yeah, their upbringing is supposed to kind of beat out all sense of individuality <laughs> and, in some cases, humor. I mean, they, they have a pretty rough upbringing. Yeah. And, um, I kind of consider them to be like equivalent to like Eastern Europeans where life is just so drab and horrible that, I mean, you just never smile as an adult just because like, it's like, yeah, life sucks. Worst the vodka. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So the whole thing was basically meant to show them with their guard down finally. And then you start hearing some explosions i believe and they all to go take a look outside the window and it's the slavers coming back to marine to basically wage war i mean they're shooting fireballs from their ships which at this point i think is the most advanced tech we've seen uh in westeros or in all of uh, game of thrones it's pretty interesting um so they hold up and their strategy is that um, they don't really have a central point to defend uh, anywhere in the city except the pyramid. Uh, Graveworm wants to go out and fight them directly. Tyrion says, no, we should stay here and defend this place because it's the only place we can defend. We'd be too spread out and vulnerable out in the open. So Graveworm kind of hesitantly follows along with this plan. And But at this point, everybody kind of has an I told you so face to Tyrion. Right. So, like you see, we knew this was going to happen. Um, and then um, we cut to you know another location, and when we come back to to their scene, they're all in the throne room. They're kind of just huddled together. Um, there's still lots of sounds of battle and explosions going on outside. To which Tyrion is like, "Okay, I admit it. I was wrong." And to which they say, well, yeah, well, that doesn't make this go away. You know, like admitting you're wrong doesn't solve anything. And um, then they hear a loud bang that sounded like it came from the ceiling of the pyramid, which in and and of itself is kind of weird. Right. Uh, One of the soldiers goes out to kind of investigate real slowly and cautiously. And then you see him bow. And everybody's like, what? What's going on? And the mother of dragons herself walks in. With a look of, Jesus, guys, I was only gone for a few days. What the hell? <laughs> so we can assume that the 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 noise and the crawling on the on the roof of the pyramid was Drogo or Drogon. Drogon, and... yeah. You actually see him fly away in the background as Tenerys walks into the the throne room. Okay, so that's definitely the implication that uh, so she got dropped off. The the deal that that Tyrion had brokered was that. Uh, the slavers or the masters were allowed to keep slaves for the next 10 years. And then after that, they would have to have put in an infrastructure for uh, there to be no more slaves, right? 
It was seven years. Seven years, not ten years, okay. But yes, basically seven years, and in the meantime, they're supposed to start phasing it out. Like, I don't believe there was supposed to be any more slaves. Like, whoever was a slave at that point was, like, you know, basically grandfathered in. And um, anything after that, like, they had seven years to start kind of phasing it out and put a different system in place. Because that was, uh, rightfully so, Tyrion said that um, changing their whole economic system overnight was pretty disastrous. Yeah. So... Yeah, going to you know, slowly implement the change was better for everyone. And, I mean, it wasn't a perfect solution, but it was better than, you know, what they had, which was chaos at that point and rebellion. Um, and it seemed like it worked. That's one of the reasons, like I said, that we see them kind of celebrating. You know, they haven't had any violence in uh, a certain period of time. I forget what they say. It's like a week or so that they haven't had any murders. Um, the Sons of the Harpy had pretty much gone away. And um, they were, like I said, Tyrion was pretty pleased with himself at the beginning of that scene. And and then, you know, uh, we see that they were all just kind of biding their time to wage a massive attack. So do you think uh, in the next episode we'll get Daenerys to uh, get the other two dragons out of captivity if they're still in captivity and... and once again, take over Marine or get control of Marine. Well, yeah, I have a feeling um, if they have a, it, it won't be the next episode. Next episode will most likely be entirely focused on Winterfell. Okay. But uh, if we do have scenes of Marine, it will more than likely feature Daenerys finally getting the dragons out because I don't believe they're chained anymore. But I don't think they ever escaped. Yeah, I mean, so I, we, she might just go in. This is the same. Yeah, she might go in and have them go out and burn the fleet that's currently attacking them. And as we know from the battle at Blackgate, you know, uh, dragon fire is the hottest fire there is. Yeah, it, apparently it can melt ram's horns. So it must get pretty hot. <laughs> All right, was there any other scenes that we missed? Uh, I believe that's all of them. I know that last week we failed to mention the the quick scene in um, featuring uh, Theon and and Yara. That's true. But but they're basically just making a, a reference that they're going to be sailing towards Daenerys, I believe, mm-hmm. and maybe offer up their their fleet to her. Which obviously, after uh, she takes care of the masters, she will uh, will need because they took out her uh, ships previously. Yes, um, at the beginning of the season, the, the, their original fleet was destroyed, and now they're being under siege by a different fleet, and they're going to need all the ships they can get to transport all of the Dothraki, all of the... Uh, Unsullied. The Unsullied, and whoever else soldiers they picked up along the way. Okay, so uh, there we go. That is episode 8, No One, of uh, season 6. We are going into episode nine, which uh, I think has claimed the name of the Bastard Bull by the fans. What do you expect to see? We're going to see a lot of fatalities in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some major characters will most likely die. I'm kind of 
I've made peace with it, so I'm kind of prepared to see just about anybody die. Um, but it will be especially heartbreaking if we see one one get killed because you know he's been really cool so far. Um, I it should be pretty straightforward. However, the uh, it my prediction is more than likely uh, they will retake Winterfell, but not at a huge cost and not without. Ramsey Bolton having some really big card up his sleeve. We know he still has Rickon. Um, what his plans will be for Rickon are, you know, not sure yet. But I'm sure he's going to try to use them against uh, uh, John and you know Sansa. Right. As of this point, Rickon is the the most official head of House Stark, so it would be important to keep him alive. And uh, you know, we'll see how that turns out. Now, why would it go to Rickon and not Bran? Is it because people think that Bran's dead? Well, yeah, because Bran's not around at the moment. It would be, by default, the oldest uh, male heir. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, do you... I mean, just... just uh, I mean, obviously, the way the show has gone, if you're more of a noble person, a, a loyal person, you don't really get to last too long in the Game of Thrones. As we saw from Ned Stark and Rob Stark and uh, countless others, and if you're a sadistic bastard and uh, you know tend to play the game the way you want to play, you get to last a little longer, as in Joffrey and uh, other people. So this might not bode well for Jon Snow over Ramsay Bolton. What do you think? What do you say? Yeah, it's. I mean, he's definitely on the short end of the thing and I wouldn't want to be in his position but technically um, he's died once already so uh, you know maybe we'll see if this makes a difference I suppose so yeah and I mean if if uh, the red woman is with them I suppose he could always just be you know respawned uh, but but he so. did he did have that little speech where he said he didn't oh wait is that was that in that episode or was that in the next episode I think that was in the preview for the next Okay, episode. never mind then. I don't want to say it. <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess the other thing was like, would it, would there have been enough time, and do you think Ramsey Bolton would have done it, uh, for him to give Rickon a little bit of reek uh, torture? That's a very good question. I think he's definitely played around with maybe like cutting fingers off. I don't think he's gone the full reek okay. method yet, but he probably has them like in the kennels or something or just kind of treating them like crap, um, mentally torturing him. We haven't seen much of what's been going on, but that might be one of the reveals that we'll see is that, you know, he'll, he'll say, oh yeah, well, you know, look at what I have here. And he pulls out Rickon and, you know, he's badly scarred and wounded and, you know, just... You could tell he's just being mistreated really badly. Right. Okay, well, I guess that's what we can expect to see in uh, this week's episode. John, where can people find you? On the Twitters, I am at Magic Bollocks. Um, if you want to know why they're magic, you got to, you know, rub them. <laughs> and uh, on Facebook, I'm uh, John Camarena, and you can also see me uh, occasionally posting on Geek Elite Radio. And I am at agent underscore of the underscore bat on, on Twitter. And we are at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. 
if you have questions, send it to us. I mean, you saw as Josue got his question answered. We love to hear more from you. What did you think of the episode? What do you think of the upcoming episodes? What do you think of the news in the geek world? Is there something that you'd like us to focus a little bit more on? Send it our way. And definitely visit us at, on our Facebook page, Geek Elite Radio, where we do most of our conversation uh, with the community. But check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the network. But until then, this has been the Geeks Watch on Geek Elite Radio Network, saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.